Last week, if you're here with us, we had our scripture reading from uh, the screen. It happened to be uh, Pastor Steve, who was with the team that journeyed the Holy Land a few we- uh, couple weeks ago now, and uh, he read our, our scripture for us. Uh, he's actually here. He's not going to be preaching from, from Israel, but, um, but we get to have a special visual of of what it was, uh, what it looks like now in the Holy Land as he's reading our scripture. He's going to be reading from Mark chapter 16. So if you brought a Bible or if you want to grab the one in front of you, you can get that and turn to Mark chapter 16 and follow along as we hear God's word and the story of the resurrection. Let's enjoy God's word here this morning. Well, good morning. Here we are today at the empty tomb just outside the walls of Jerusalem. I'm reading our scripture from Mark chapter 16. And it goes like this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after the sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples of Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as you were told. Trembling and bewildered, The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Hallelujah. He is risen. Well, that was so much fun. And uh, so much fun to be here today. He is risen. Amen. You know, that is what we call the Paschal greeting. Paschal root comes from Passover. But it's become an Easter greeting for many, many centuries now as it was passed down from Eastern Orthodox. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But even deeper than that, it comes from the Scripture. There was two men that were thinking about and talking about everything that had happened the week of what we now call Holy Week. They were coming back uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, the scripture tells us, and, and they were talking and they were referring and refreshing their memory about things that happened like last Sunday when we celebrated the entrance of Christ into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, coming as King of Kings. And then just quickly turn to what we experienced Friday a death on a cross. It was that time that they realized that the man that was with them, a third person, was indeed Lord and Savior Jesus. And it says that they hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And when they got there, and they were telling the disciples everything was happening, they said, the Lord is risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. And so, over the years, the Lord has risen and respond, the Lord has risen indeed as a, as a statement of victory. It's a statement that we are um, celebrating this resurrection. The Lord is risen indeed. 
But as these men were walking back and having this discussion, this was really after the resurrection, and they were reflecting on what had been happening. Um, in fact, what had happened, we were here Friday night and experienced that, those of you who are here. We, we ended the service Friday with Jesus on the cross, breathing his last breath. Scripture tells us that that was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, unfortunately, that, that created a little bit of problem for the Orthodox Jews. The, at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon, the Sabbath was quickly approaching. In fact, the Sabbath would begin at sunset. At sundown on that Friday was just a few hours away. And so they had a problem. The problem was, what do we do with the body of Jesus? What are we going to do with this body? The, 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 the Passover or the, or the Sabbath is approaching and the disciples had scattered. His family was nowhere around and the women probably were wondering if there was anything that could be done. And just before the scripture we read this morning in Mark 16, there's some words in Mark 15 that give us a little bit of the background. It says this in Mark 15, 42. It says, it was the preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. You see, this, this Friday, prior to the beginning of the Sabbath, was called Preparation Day. Very, it makes sense because basically that day would be spent, especially in the afternoon, preparing for the Sabbath. Because on the Sabbath, you could not cook. You could not even light a fire. There was just a whole set of rules of, of the Jewish following, of the Orthodox Jew following of what they could and couldn't do. And there wasn't a whole lot, especially if it even related to work at all that they could do. So you'd have to cook all your food ahead of time for the next whole day. You'd have to uh, prepare and light all the candles beforehand because you couldn't light a fire. You couldn't start a fire on the Sabbath. And so even though the Sabbath didn't begin until nightfall, preparations would begin beforehand. We found that out when we were there. Uh, if you wanted to go to a shop even at 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock on Friday, good luck because they were shutting down their shops because they had to go prepare for the Sabbath. They would have to go and, and prepare the meals. And, and you know, one thing they have to do is they, because you can't light a light on the Sabbath, they'd have to go home and open up their refrigerator and either unscrew or remove the light from the refrigerator. So when you open up the refrigerator the next couple of days, the light wouldn't come on. Because that would be working. That would be something that's not allowed. So there's a lot of steps that needed to be taken for the Sabbath. And so they needed Jesus' body to be taken care of before then. And so we see Joseph, this one from the council, says boldly came. Well, yes, he had to boldly come because he was now was identified with this radical Jesus. And so he comes to Pilate and he asks for his body. And oh yeah, uh, there were a few women with him. Uh, and then we see also that he takes the body, anoints it, prepares it, and puts it in a grave that he owned right there next to the place where Jesus was crucified. Which then brings us to our scripture that we read there from the garden tomb. It says this in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, that would have been on Saturday at sundown. Actually, at nightfall, when the first three stars would arise in the sky, so you knew for sure it was night. You were safe. 
you can see three stars. Now, I know that's a problem if you're here in Cleveland because we don't see stars because all we see is clouds, right? But, uh, but you would know what time those stars were to appear. And so he says, so when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome. So three women, Mary Magdalene, who had had seven demons cast out, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, who we read through the scriptures, we see other places referred to as the mother of James and John, brought some, bought some spices so they may go to anoint Jesus' body. They had to wait until the shops reopened, and that's what happened when we were there about 6, 7 o'clock after when it got sunset uh, and, and, and nightfall the next day. The shops would reopen. The restaurants would reopen. And so they were able, after the Sabbath, Saturday night, to run out and buy what they didn't have. And so it says here that they bought the spices, but it was probably too late, too dark, maybe even a little too dangerous to go to the tomb at that time. So they went back home. This is very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They had a very practical problem here. They're headed to the place where they knew because they had been there. Mary Magdalene had been there, especially we know with, with Joseph. She knew where the place was, and they went there, and they're thinking, we got this stone, it's been rolled, what are we going to do? As they wondered, the next verse tells us, it says, when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And in fact, the view that they might have seen that morning would have been very similar to this next picture that you see here. It was the same picture of the empty tomb that I was reading the scripture in front of. This is the empty tomb, the garden tomb. Now, I know if there's scholars here today, you're saying, Pastor Steve, do you really believe that this was the tomb? Um, I would have to say that very likely not. <laughs> uh, very likely, in fact, uh, the, the historical place where Jesus was crucified and buried is a little ways away from here. It's, it's a church of the sepulcher, and it's in a more crowded area of Jerusalem, uh, not near as fun a place to come and worship as this one is. And uh, this is a quiet place. It's, 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 it's nice. And, and in the 1800s, uh, General, General Gordon was looking out his window, and he saw a place that looked like the place of the skull to him. And he says, hey, I think Jesus might have been buried or killed there, crucified. And they found a tomb next door. So they said, okay, this, maybe this is it. Maybe it is. But likely not. In fact, this tomb here dates back seven, 800 years prior to Jesus' time. This dates back to seven, 800 B.C. Uh, that, that this might have been. So it was very close. It's very close to a place that they think could be Golgotha. But it was neat to be there and to hear. And you heard the singing behind us as we were reading the scriptures. It was just a, a great place to celebrate and take communion together. But the thing is, whether it's here, whether it's there, it doesn't make any difference. The, the key point here is it's empty. And you can see that the stone's been rolled away. You can see there's no one there. There's not even any Roman soldiers we're told that uh, in Luke it is, I think, no, Matthew, that, that, the, that uh, the scribes and Pharisees were concerned that there was going to be a, 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 a plan to steal the body by the disciples. So they posted on the Sabbath, they posted soldiers there. And they would have been in front of this tomb with the big stone in front of it. But if you read the scriptures, you find that uh, these soldiers were no match for the angel and the power of God as they fell to the ground and, and then they hightailed it out of there when the body was gone and the tomb was open. And so we see that this morning and, and we, we get a picture of what it might have looked like as they approached a tomb that was empty. Mark continues 
his narrative in verse 6. He says this, As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. We, uh, we had a chance to step into that tomb that you saw there and look, and there's two places, one on the left where they would have laid a body and another place on the right. You could just, even though that might not have been the tomb, you could just, in your mind, imagine what it was like to look there and see this man in white. Other passages, other gospels say he was an angel. And it says he was there, and they were alarmed. You can imagine, wouldn't you be alarmed if you saw something like that? The scripture goes on. The man says his message, don't be alarmed. <laughs> I like that. They were alarmed, and his first words are, hey, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I love it. He looks out, he, he sees these ladies, and he says, don't be alarmed. Look around. The one you are looking for is not here. He has risen. He's not here. How exciting that would have been. And then the next words are words of invitation. And Christ's words and God's words always come to us as words of invitation. He says this basically, check it out. Check it out. Look at it. He says, he says see the place where they lead him, laid him. Look for yourselves. Take a look. Check it out. That's where he was. He's not there anymore. He has risen. And the ladies were there to see. And then he gave them a message. And the message was this. I'm going up to Galilee. Go tell my disciples. Meet me there. And there they will see me. Let's head up, head up there. You want to see me? You want to continue this ministry? Let's go and let's do it. But let's do it in Galilee. And so he says, let's go there. <coughs> the basic message of that angel that day was this, Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He is no longer dead. And I love that it comes with an invitation to check it out. Have you checked out whether Jesus Christ is, is dead? Have you checked out whether he is risen or not? You know, when, to have a really good resurrection, a true resurrection, you need at least two things, right? You need an empty grave, and you need a live body. And this was the first step in this proving, this evidence of a resurrection, an empty grave. And, he, and the angel gives the invitation to check it out. Come, follow me, Jesus says. Check it out. Be a follower of Christ. Check him out. It's always an invitation. I've, I've found out as over the years, studying and just observation in my own life, that the Christian faith, or really any religion, does not function well when it's forced on folks. When that force comes uh, by coercion, or that force comes through um, sword, or gun, or bomb, even ballot box. 
It's got to be something that we receive personally through invitation. And when, when God comes to the women here, it's an invitation to come, check it out. People, though, have that opportunity all the time. They still have that opportunity today. You and I have had that opportunity to check out this risen Savior, to check out that place where he laid. Is it really there? And so many times, it's for some people, they don't check it out because it's just too preposterous, too crazy. Dead man don't walk, right? It's not scientific. It can't happen. It doesn't fit into the box of my world. And so because it's so preposterous, we never check it out. Some of us start to check it out, but we find out it's, it's just kind of leaves us a lot like the ladies here in this story, bewildered. Boy, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, maybe it's possible that a dead man can rise. I don't understand how. And, and we find ourselves like the ladies here, bewildered. I think that the apostles were bewildered too. They were still having trouble trying to digest what had happened. It was problematic. How do I make this work into my faith? How do I make this work into my life? How can I prove it? How can I move from bewilderment to belief? I said you need two things for a body. and We've only got one so far, right? We've only got an empty grave. I'm, a, I'm kind of a fan of some of these um, cop shows, um, NCIS, those type of shows on TV. I, that, that, if I wanted, got to pick a show, that's probably the type of show I'd watch. Something with a little mystery to it. You got to guess. You know, you got to try to follow the plot. And, but every now and then on those shows, you see one of those um, episodes where some guy who's been dead for 10 years shows up. You ever seen those? You know, all of a sudden, every, everybody said he was dead. He's been gone for 10 years. And he shows up. Something's got to be investigated. So they start off, and the first question asked is, okay, well then who's in the grave? <laughs> who's buried in that, in that, in that grave there? And if it's, the, if it's the good guys, the officials, the, the authorities that, that are checking it out, they'll come with their backhoes, and you see them, you know, exhuming the grave, and they're bringing up the casket, and they do that. If it's the, if it's the amateurs... Or like the private detectives, they come at night with their flashlights and two shovels. <laughs> you know, at least that's the way we used to do it back home. And uh, no, I just, no, not really, not really. But the question is, who's in the grave? And so they, they go and they dig up that grave and they say, okay, no, this was a mistaken identity or it's empty. And so then the next question is, well then, did he ever die? Well, we know if we read scriptures. There's no question. I mean, everybody knew who Jesus was. This wasn't some guy whose face was unrecognizable. Everybody knew they had seen him. They'd seen him heal. They'd seen him raise his own, raise people from the dead on his own. They had seen, they knew him. And so when he was hanging on his tree, there was no question. It said the passerbyers went by. They knew who he was because they hurled insults at him. The family was there, the, the ladies were there, the disciples were somewhere around. There was the scribes and Pharisees making sure that this got done. There was the Roman soldiers so sure who he was and so sure that he was dead because they had pierced him with the sword. There was no question he was dead. 
So the only question remains, we have an empty grave, is, is he alive? Is he alive? And that's necessary if you're going to believe in the resurrection. The apostle Paul knew that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking, and, and to paraphrase Paul a little bit here, he says, some of you still can't believe that there's a resurrection from the dead. Some of you refuse to believe that anybody can be raised. And then he throws this at him. So what do you do about Jesus? Now remember, this is not 2,000 years later. This is right then. This is just, this, this is the, the, in that generation after Jesus had left. He says, what do you do about Jesus? And he reminds them. He says, in case you forgot, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to Peter. And he says, he appeared then to the 12. He says, then he appeared to more than 500 all at one time. And many of those are still alive. And they can verify it. They can testify to it. He said, they appeared to James. Then he appeared to the apostles. And then to me, I saw him. How do you deal with that? We were looking at this scripture in our uh, staff meeting on Tuesday, and someone mentioned, yeah, and he didn't even mention all the women. <laughs> all the women that he appeared to on top of this. What do you do with that? How do you move from bewilderment to belief? It's when you take the evidence and you say, I have this evidence of an empty cross. I have this evidence of an empty grave. I have this evidence of a death that I know happened. And I have this evidence of a live Jesus that talked with me. In fact, it was Mary Magdalene who experienced that evidence first, according to the book of John. It says that after they got the disciples back to the tomb and checked it all out, that they all headed back home. And they're still bewildered. They're still bewildered. They're still trying to figure out what happened, how all this could happen, what's going on here. And, and I'm bewildered. I don't understand. It says Mary, though, went back to the tomb. She just couldn't get, she couldn't shake it. Sometimes you get something like that, don't you? You just can't shake it. She had to get back to the tomb. i got to see it again. She says she got there, and she started crying. And two men were there, and they said, Mary, why are you, or why are you crying? She goes, they've taken the body of my Lord. I don't know what they've done with it. Then she says she turned around, and she saw a gardener. And the gardener said, why are you crying? She goes, have you taken the body? If you've taken it, would you tell me where you took it? I just, I just need to know where the body is. Still bewildered, not understanding. And then that gardener spoke one word. Scripture tells us, he said, Mary. And Mary knew immediately. The bewilderment changed to belief. She knew he was no longer dead. She knew he had risen like he said. She ran home to the disciples and she said, I have seen the Lord. And when we see God, when we see him, we see him risen, we see testimony of him in the scripture. But then God comes to us and speaks to us and speaks our name. It's evidence that he is alive. But sometimes you don't hear the name. You don't see it at first. Because there was another character in this story. A character that I have a lot of feeling for. 
There was somebody else in this story, just mentioned once, that I believe was dreading seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus was probably the last thing on the list of things Peter wanted to do. Peter, you see, if you remember the story, had denied Jesus three times. He had caved to the, to the, to the pressure. He caved to the, to the trials of the, the, the temptation to give in. Denied his Lord. I don't think he wanted to see Jesus. You think he wanted to see Jesus? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that was the last person I wanted to see. But in our story this morning, there's two words in the midst of that verse there. Verses six and seven. It says this. Tell the disciples and Peter. Mark, the author of this book, we know from history, we know from well-recorded history going all the way back to the beginning of the church was a comp companion to, to Peter. He followed Peter. He recorded and wrote down the sermons that Peter wrote. He would sit down with Peter and hear the stories and, and the, the records tell us he would faithfully write down the stories that Peter told so that he could write this account. It's interesting that the only gospel that says, and Peter, is the one that Peter verbally told. Do you ever have a confrontation that you really are, are nervous about getting into because you don't know how the other person feels about you? This verse kind of reminds me of what that might be like, but just before you're getting ready to go into it, you get a text, and it says, hey, just want to let, let you know everything's cool. Let's talk. That's kind of what this is. This is God saying, hey, Peter, everything's cool. Let's talk. Peter knew what he had done, and he says, tell Peter. You see, Peter would find out what you know today, I know, what Paul came to know, and what he recorded in Romans 5, 8. It's this, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Peter had messed up terribly. Peter had messed up horribly. In the words of our song this morning, though he rose from the ashes of defeat, because it was Jesus who called his name and made an invitation, says, tell Peter, come meet me. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And Jesus Christ had proved that was him. And he was telling Peter, you are forgiven. Scriptures tell us that Peter was sorrowful. He went and cried and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, was, he was burdened for this sin that he had, he had made. And Jesus was saying, tell Peter, come meet me. This past week, actually going back more than a week, um, people have been coming up and telling me, 
it seemed like everybody has run into. You got to go see the movie, I, you, I Can Only Imagine. They come up to me and say, you got to go see the movie, I Can Only Imagine. Now, I'm kind of one of those persons that when you tell me I got to do something, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> make me, you know. But Wednesday, we went with the youth group to see the movie. And let me tell you, you got to go see it. But the story is the story of Bart Millard, the writer of that song. I can only imagine his story. It's the story of him and his father. His father, it was, as Bart described him, a monster. He was a severe abuser, abuser of Bart's mother his, and, and Arthur's wife. He was, a, he was an abuser physically. He's an abuser emotionally. He beat him. He demeaned him. He tried to destroy his dreams. He was a wicked, wicked man. Bart was out on the road trying to start his career, and it just wasn't happening. He knew, in fact, he was confronted that there was something in his past that he had to deal with, and he knew it was that relationship with his father. He knew that, that until he was able to come and deal with his past, that he would never be able to write songs or even sing songs out of his heart. And so he left the road and he came back home, only to find out that his father had changed. His father was kind. He was courteous. He was even loving as he could be at his age, which made Bart even angrier. How could this man who did so much evil to me get off scot-free like this? It's like he never did it. And in, in their conversations back and forth, and, and Bart's anger, and saying, how could this happen? What happened? Arthur finally said these words. He says, if God can forgive everybody else, why can't he forgive me? He said, I was listening to your radios and I was listening to your church services. And I kept hearing about this forgiveness of God. And if God can forgive everybody else out there, why can't he forgive me? Peter found out what that forgiveness was about. He could have said the same thing. God can't forgive me. You know, you look at Peter and then you look at another individual, Judas. Judas who betrayed the Lord. We're, we're told in the scriptures he had some of the very same feelings afterwards. It says he was sorry. It says he said, I have sinned. He was grieved. He mourned. But instead of waiting and turning to Christ... He took his own life. I wonder if Judas would have taken the Peter route. If Jesus might not have said, or the angel might not have said, hey, go tell Peter and Judas. What, how Christianity in the world may have been different if there had been a preaching team of Peter and Judas going around the world saying, look what God's done for us. God wants to do it for you. God's love is great. God's love reaches to the worst sinner that is willing to come in grief and sorrow and repentance and say, forgive me. God's not stingy with his love and his mercy. In fact, 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love. 
the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. God is not a miser with his love. Seth read earlier, he is rich in mercy. God is not a God who sticks the carrot out there of his love and forgiveness and makes us chase after it like it's an unattainable goal. He's not a miser. He's not stingy. Does it make any sense to you, any sense at all, that God, the Father, in Christ Jesus, in the form of Jesus, would come to the earth, suffer like he did, nails driven into his hands and feet, spear in his side, crown of thorns, tortured, so that we might be forgiven and then to be stingy with that forgiveness. That doesn't make any sense. If God sacrificed that much, if his love for you was that much, he lavishes his love on us. He pours it out. He is rich in mercy. And he was rich in mercy to Peter. He was rich in mercy to Mary Magdalene. He was rich in mercy to Arthur Millard. And he's been rich in mercy to you and to me who have come and allowed him access to our lives, to have expressed to him our, our heart's desire to follow him and to turn from our sin. He invites us. It's an invitation. The invitation to the ladies was, check it out. Look at that. It's empty. <laughs> invitation to Peter. Go tell the disciples. Ooh, and tell Peter. Tell him got good news for him. I got good news for him. Insert your name there. Tell Steve whatever your name is. God's got good news for you and it's for you personally. And the good thing about this is when we let him come into our hearts, when we, when we turn from our sin, the good news of the Easter message is that he is no longer dead. But even the better news is what he shared with the disciples beforehand when he said what was going to happen. He said what was going to happen. He says, you're, I'm going to die, but you're going to see me again. And then in John chapter 14, he says this, then because I live, you also will live. Because I am resurrected, you will be resurrected. Eternal life comes to those who believe on his name and call on him. That's the good news of Easter. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's only possible because Jesus Christ lives. And we today can come and rise from the ashes of defeat. Because the resurrecting king, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. He's resurrecting you. May that be you this morning. May you be the one that he's resurrecting. Let's stand together and we're going to sing this again just to close out in victory, the end of this song. The altar's always open. You can come talk to Eric and I also. But let's just rejoice this morning in a king who calls you by name, who invites you, and who offers you lavishly his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. Not stingy but lovingly to you. Let's sing together. In vain 
was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the rain. Our God has hurt habit hang up sin may be the resurrected king is resurrecting you from the ashes of the feet he lifts us ask Peter ask Mary Magdalene ask Arthur Millard ask so many of us who've experienced the forgiveness the love mercy lavished upon us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we go this morning Pastor Eric and I will be up front, glad to talk with anyone who wants to talk together. If, you're, if you want to know more, you have more questions, at Guest Services is a little book called How Good is Good Enough. You find out that none of us are good enough. And it took the sacrifice and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But these are free. Feel free to take one. Maybe to answer some questions you may have. Uh, go this week and serve the Lord who is risen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace you lavish upon us. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that comes through the sacrifice that was made. And Lord, through the assurance that we have life, life forever with you because of your resurrection. Lord, go with us. Give us victory this week as we seek to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is risen. Go in peace.